But you know, just as we were singing today and celebrating and um, just enjoying our time of worship, it, it made me think, um, how, how, many of you, how many of you would say you, you like music? How many of you would say you like music? If you're, like, like I, I'm not a big music lover. You know, I could take a cross-country trip and never turn the radio on, and my wife would say, have you lost your mind? Like, what are you going to do all the time? you got to listen to some. you got to get your tunes on. So I, I wondered this morning, like what, like, what everybody's favorite style is. So I'm not saying that you're going to like all the songs that you're about to hear. Uh, but what I did wonder is, is it, it, like, how many of you like that style? I just wonder what everybody's favorite style is. So I just want to pr- play a few songs this morning. And, uh, and if you recognize them, see if, you, see if this fits your style, okay? So here's the first one. I'll go ahead and play it. Oh, yeah, see, right? How many of you, that's your style? How many of you, that's your style? Come on. Hey, get your church face off and tell me the truth. I know when you get, I'll go look in your car and see what the radio is on, and I'll know. Check your Spotify account. I know what's going on out there. So come on, go ahead and lift it up. How many of you, that's you? That's you. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right, here's, here's another one. You ready? Check this one out. Uh-oh. Who knows? Boo, we get some booze? Really? Oh, really? How many, how many of you? How many of you like that? You like that? That's your style. All right. Some of you have a personal problem with Taylor Swift for some reason. I don't know. I don't know what she did to you, but anyway. All right. Just beautiful and rich and famous. You know, I don't know what there is to hate, so anyway. All right, here's another one. You ready? How many of you, this is your style right here? some bebopies out there. You like that? Come on, lift it up. Let me see it. Let me see it. Oh, some of you are lying. Some of you are lying. There you go. I see the hand in the back. All right. Okay, so may, maybe maybe we didn't go far enough back, so I just want to go back a little bit older to see if we can catch a few of the other ones that jumped in. Check this one out. is that hey yeah okay 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 you got it all right now clearly for some of you though we didn't go far enough back so we're gonna go a little bit further back uh, to to this right here check this out oh come on come on we just got everybody oh 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 look at this look at this hey thank you very much you know what that is right all right all right all right, all right. All right, okay. Now, I got, I got one more. Um, and, I, and there might be some confusion in the song, but I just want to play it and see uh, first who can tell me what song it is. So listen to this one. Right? Much. I'm gonna have to turn it off. You're liking it too much. So, so first off, uh, get your holy face off. Yes, we can play that in church. N- number two, how many of you said Ice Ice Baby? You're wrong. 
you're wrong, and the reason you're wrong is because you're not old enough. How many children of the 80s we got in here? Children of the 80s? Okay. How many of you know what that song really is? What? Under pressure. That's right. You know why? Because Vanilla Ice done stole it. He stole it. And he got sued for that, by the way. So, Under Pressure by David Bowie and Queen, released October 1981, about nine years before Vanilla Ice lifted it. Now, that song, Under Pressure, is, a, is an interesting song. I brought the lyrics this morning. I just want to, I'm not going to sing them. Don't, no, nobody leave. Don't grab your purse and head for the door. I just want to read some of them to you. Listen to this. Pressure pressing down on me, under pressure that burns a building down, splits a family in two, puts people on streets. That's okay. It's the terror of knowing what this world is about, watching some good friends screaming, let me out. Pray tomorrow takes me higher, pressure on people. Chipping around, kick my brains around the floor. These are the days it never rains, it pours people on the street. Man, if they thought there was that much pressure in 1981, they would lose their mind now. Right? So, there's a lot of pressure in our society today, and that's what this whole series we're starting today is about. It's actually called Under Pressure. As a society, we're struggling with anxiety and depression and fear and relationships and a whole lot of other things. Now, the question is, where's all that pressure coming from? I, I don't have all the answers, but let me give you some ideas, okay? The United Kingdom recognized that some of that pressure is coming from loneliness. They say that loneliness is one of the greatest health challenges of our time, and they believe it so much that they've actually added a new seat to their government called the Minister of Loneliness, and that person's job is to try to attack the problem of loneliness in the United Kingdom, which, by the way, in the United Kingdom, around 200,000 people have not had one conversation with a friend or relative in over 30 days. Extreme. And just if you think, well, we, we've always known Britain has problems, right? Well, let me tell you what's going on in America. 22% of American millennials say they have no friends. Now, if you track across all generations, uh, how many, we've done surveys for decades in America, how many close friends do you have? If you track it across the decades, the further along we go in time, the smaller the number gets. It was five, and then it was three, and then it was two. And I honestly, the last time I looked, I think it's uh, one or less now with a good number of people saying, I have no close friends in my life of, of any generation. Generally speaking, though, in America, the younger the generation, the lonelier they are and the higher the anxiety. And some data suggest that anxiety is rising because we have too many choices, now, that might sound far-fetched, you know, to those of you my age and older, you may say, well, you know, I remember when I was a kid, man, uh, our biggest battle was boredom. You know, you just had to figure it out. You tell your parents you're bored, they're going to give you chores. You never did that. You just go figure it out, you know, work it out. 
But imagine if you were raised in a world where all your life you had this incredible pressure and burden of making decisions about everything and options about everything. One of the freedoms of childhood are that the adults make most of the decisions. And you're free to grow up. That's not the experience most people 40 and under have had in America. They've grown up with so many choices that it's created a paralysis about making decisions and a fear about making decisions and a fear about making the wrong choice. So whatever the causes are, it seems like an accepted fact around our country. We're in the middle of a massive mental health crisis. U.S. teen and adult suicide rates are the highest on record. Since we've been keeping records on suicide among teenagers and adults, we have now spiked to the highest number. 44 million Americans have a mental health issue. Rates of youth and ma- uh, uh, ra- the rate of youth with major depression continues to rise. Do you know when surveyed the most stressful current events for youth 15 to 21 years old? This will tell you a lot about how some of our younger generations were raised and the pressure they were raised in. 15 to 21-year-olds, what's the most stressful event in your life? And here it is. The potential for mass shootings. Now think about being raised in an environment where you're afraid that you might get shot. That creates pressure. I, I, I was thinking back to the first mass shooting I could remember, or at least on a school campus, How many of you remember Columbine High School? I couldn't remember when it happened. You know, it all meshes together, Matt, so I looked it up. 1999, 20 years ago, Columbine High School, two shooters went in and killed several people and injured even more. It It was unbelievable. It shocked the whole country. But boy, since then, we haven't done much better, have we? It's gotten worse and more often. And so if you're 35 or younger, you grew up in a different world. And and to pretend that that doesn't have an effect on the psyche of a person's development is naive. Our nation has dramatically changed in the last few decades. And what effect do you think that would have on a young person growing up? What a generation fears always shows up in entertainment. Maybe when you were a little kid, you know, we had the big, the big bouncy Godzilla, you know, with the, with the strings on him. You know what I'm saying? But boy, fast forward to what we see in entertainment today and what's everything. Everything's zombies. Now, now why? why if, if entertainment reflects reality, why, why, is, why do we have this zombie craze the last 10 years or so? Why does that happen? Well, because of terrorism. We, we have an entire generation and half of another generation or, or another whole generation coming up who's been shaped by the fear that they're going to get blown up or shot. And that's what zombies are. You never know when it's going to happen. You never know where it's going to happen. And you never know who's going to turn out to be one. It could be somebody you go to school with. It could be somebody to go to church with. It could be somebody at Walmart. Anybody could turn. And so that, in that way, entertainment has captured our fear and put it into a, a horror flick. So let's just be clear about this this morning. 
Pressure kills. Since it's very unlikely that the pressure's going to drop, right? It just seems to keep increasing. We have to understand how we're going to deal with pressure. Now, I want you to know in this series, I'm not going to gloss over you know, the real struggles and challenges of everyday life with some spiritual frou-frou and pretend if you just take this magic spiritual pill, everything's going to be all right. There isn't one answer. There are many answers. And so that's why in this uh, message we've extended it to an entire series. Because each week we're going to be giving a different answer. And if you take any one of these answers by themselves, it's likely not to work. Or likely not to help you much. But if you put them together, then, then, then I think you can see some real help in your life. So here's what we're going to talk about uh, next week, we're going to talk about what, what relationship does prayer have to dealing with pressure. So we're, we're going to say to you, pray about it. We're going to talk about growing in wisdom. We're going to talk about renewing your mind. But what I want to do today is I want to start at the, what I think is the beginning, and I want to do what, I, what my prayer is this entire series will do for you, and that is give you hope. Because pressure and hope are enemies, Pressure will choke hope to death. See, a hopeless person is not a person who never had hope. A hopeless person is a person who has had their hopes squeezed out of them. So if you have the right source of hope, then hope can drown the pressure and give you strength to endure. So here's the good news today. The pressure you're dealing with doesn't have to crush you. So let's start today at the beginning. Let's start with hope, okay? So I want to give you a few thoughts. If you have something to write with or you want to take notes on your phone or whatever, I would encourage you to do that. So where does hope come from? Uh, generically. I'm not going to gloss it over in high spiritual terms, but just generically, where does hope come from? Number one, hope comes from victory in the past. Now, now how many Alabama fans do we have? There you go. Some of you just woke up for the first time, and I appreciate it so much. <laughs> so why do you think Alabama had so much confidence or so much hope yesterday when they played New Mexico State? Well, because, number one, Nick Saban has one of the best records ever. Number two, Alabama just doesn't lose to, you know, smaller schools. There was that Louisiana Monroe thing, we all get that, all Auburn fans, we get that, we remember, we remember, you don't have to remind us, we remember, but, but the team goes into the game because they can look behind them at all the victories and say, well, I mean, we won all them, what are the chances, and if you're an Auburn fan, okay, you got Tulane, all right? So you can look at that and say, look, we, we usually win all these games. So you can look behind you at the victories behind you and say, I've got great hope, I've got great confidence that we're going to win this one too. You know we do that in our own lives. We come to a problem that we don't know how we're going to solve. We oftentimes will encourage ourselves by thinking of times in the past when something like this has happened to us before. Remember that time you lost your job and we didn't know what we were going to do? Remember that time you couldn't pay your bill? Remember that time that we didn't know how we were going to uh, work the whole schedule out? Remember how hard it was? We didn't know how it was going to work out, but it worked out. 
And we look back at those times and we remember that we feel the same way that we felt then, but it worked out. So we encourage ourselves from the past and we bring great hope from the past and say, well, if that worked out, this is probably going to work out too. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, we've all done that, right? We encourage ourselves from past victory to bring present into the, uh, hope into the present. Do you know that's actually a Christian move? That's a Christian thing to do. Let me show you how. There is a victory in the past that we look back on that gives us great hope. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible talks about it, but it's actually stated in the negative to say, this past event gives us great hope, but what if this past event had never happened? Then what hope would we have? So 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and if Christ had not been raised had not been raised from the dead, resurrected, your faith is futile. In other words, your, your faith in God is a waste of time. You're still in your sins. You're no better off than those also who have fallen asleep who are already dead and believed that they're lost too. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are people most to be pitied. So, in other words, the Bible is saying if Jesus died and never came back from the dead, and, and even if the church and the Bible and all the teaching and the meetings and all the uh, hugging and handshaking and carrying on and picnics and whatever else you do, if they only give you hope in this life, then Christians are the most miserable people on the earth. That's what the Bible says. And so sometimes people ask the question, what's the difference between Christianity and other religions? Well, I can tell you what it's not. It's not good teaching because the truth is most religions have some good teaching. It, it's not miracles because some, sometimes unexplainable things happen. In other parts of the world, in other, in other pockets, in other belief systems. But here's what it is. It's one event that is so special and so powerful that it eclipses every other event that's ever happened on earth. 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived a sinless life. He was wrongly punished to death. And three days later, God's power brought him back from the dead. And all of Christianity rests on that fact. You take that fact out, we got nothing. Everything rests there. So when we look back at it, it brings us great hope. Why? If God can raise Jesus, by the way, they never found his body. So, so how'd that happen? And by the way, every other religious leader who's ever died on earth's body has already been found. Every major leader. Jesus' body's never been found. Where'd it go? So, so here's the thing. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, I have hope that he can work in my life. So Romans 8 verse 11 actually says that. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit that lives in you. So uh, if, if the Spirit of God can take Jesus' human body that's been crucified to death and bring it back to life, then he can help you in whatever it is that you're going through today. So what does that past victory mean for us? Well, it gives us hope. 
We can look back to that event and say we have hope. So here's a thought for the day if you want to take something with you. Jesus died so we could overflow with life, not be overwhelmed by it. And that flies directly in the face of a lot of the pressure that we feel. So, so hope comes from victory in the past. Number two, hope comes from help in the present. Help in the present. And there's nothing like being in a bind and having someone reach out and, and help you in, a, in, a, in an effective way. It's so encouraging. It brings you help. It brings you hope. I remember when we uh, lived in Mississippi. We lived in uh, Long Beach, a suburb of Gulfport. And Hurricane Katrina came and just um, a 35-foot 30, storm surge came on our shore. Uh, the destruction area among New Orleans, the Mississippi coast, and Mobile, the Alabama coast, was, it was the size of Great Britain. It was, it was massive. 2,000 people died. Uh, it took years and years to rebuild and recover. It was, it was unbelievable. But when Hurricane Katrina came ashore, we evacuated here, and a few days later, we were back on the ground there to try to assess you know, what happened? How's everybody doing? And, and how's the church campus and our schools and our community? And so I met with our pastors. I mean, the power was off. The water was polluted. Um, a lot of the federal agencies hadn't even arrived yet. It was just sort of like, you know, the, the wild west. It was no man's land. And we were down there and um, we went to the church building. Myself and our staff went to the church building. And we were in a room in the back of the church just trying to figure out, you know, I, I, I missed hurricane recovery in Bible college. I didn't get that class, so I didn't really know. You know, I'd never been trained for this. I don't know, what are we going to do? Like, how, how, where do you go for, what's your first step? I, I got no idea. <clears throat> so we were meeting, and somebody came knocking on the door, which is crazy because you go, who's here? <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no, people are everywhere. And, and um, they said, hey, there's some guys out front who want to talk to you uh, because they said heavy equipment and they've got gear and they've got a work team. And they said, hey, we came from uh, Tennessee, from East Tennessee, and uh, we, this is what we do. We do hurricane disaster relief recovery, and we're from so-and-so church in East Tennessee, and we wonder if you needed help. And, and I went, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, we need help. They said, so what's the plan? I said, what you got? Like, I, I got nothing. And they started to gut our building, and, and, and that set in motion um, a process whereby we would begin to receive help from people on the outside and give help to our community. Uh, and we, we ultimately had a medical clinic. We had about uh, $1 to $2 million of pharmaceuticals in our little makeshift pharmacy that took over one of the classrooms. We treated 10,000 patients in our medical clinic. We had 50,000 people that came through our, uh, our, our drive through there and gave them supplies. And on and on, thousands of people came from all over the country and stayed in our building. I, but I can't tell you how many hot meals. We had over 200 volunteers living on our property uh, at a time and two showers. You, fit, you do the math. You think it's hot now. Yeah, you, you should have been there. And, and so um, I can't tell you the encouragement, though, and the hope 
that came inside of all of us who were trying to work that out when we had so much help from the outside. Once I was standing in the gym, and we actually had a map with push pins in it from all the states people had come from, and they had come from almost every state in America and three or four countries outside of America. It was unbelievable. And, and a pastor friend had stopped by, and, and he was saying, hey, how's it going? And I was showing him. And he said, yeah, but I bet you haven't had anybody from Hawaii. And I said, no, we haven't had anybody from Hawaii. I mean, I don't even know why that would matter. I'm telling you the truth. This actually happened. We walked out of the gym door, and a family pulls up in a Winnebago. And they opened the door, and they said, hey, do you mind if we park here? We just came to help. And I was like, sure, you know, put it in the back. I mean, we had done that so many times, it didn't even matter. And I said, where are you from? Hawaii. Yes, they were from Hawaii. They were from Hawaii, I'm telling you. And I looked at him and I said, nah, from Hawaii. How about that? How about that? When someone reaches out to help you, then it brings a lot of hope. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. I'm glad God is a present help in trouble because in my life, I've had a lot of trouble. I, I grew up in a, a lower-income family, uneducated I was the first male in my family to graduate high school. I was raised in significant uh, family dysfunction. And, and then I went from there to follow God's call on my life into ministry. And we went through so many changes in our church. And then ultimately Hurricane Katrina hit. And we spent the last four or so years there doing that. And then disease began to attack our family. I'm the only I'm the only immediate family member that doesn't have a chronic disease in our family. And, and the pressure on our family has just been relentless really since Hurricane Katrina in 2005. We've not had one season that there hasn't been relentless pressure. pressure. So when I talk to you about pressure, I'm not talking in theory. I understand, I understand what intensity and pressure would do. And a few years ago, I was at a breaking point, and I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And if I'm telling you the truth, um, if I could have quit, I would have quit. And maybe you say, well, you know, pastors aren't supposed to think that way. Well, they do. And I did. And could I, could I have quit? I, I, I was so completely exhausted. And I remember I was walking out the door of our garage, and I, uh, I was on the phone with a friend. And my friend said, um, hey, I was thinking about you last night. We were at dinner with some other people, and I was thinking about you. And this uh, scripture just kept coming to my mind. And as it came to my mind, I kept thinking about you. And I, I just think, I think God wanted me to share it with you. Is it okay if I share it with you? I said, well, sure. And I mean, you, you had, I, was, I was numb and void, feeling like I was done. And, and my friend read this verse from Isaiah 43, 1 and 2 that just says this, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, He who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, hello, a 35-foot storm surge, I, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire of pressure and disease and everything else, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you, but 
Here's what many of you might not know and what my friend who shared that with me did not know. At, at 16 years old, when I was praying once at a, at a church service, one of our leaders, one of our leaders reached over and whispered in my ear, I think that God wants me to tell you something. And they, they quoted that scripture that I didn't even know was in the Bible. And then a week later, one of my best friends was leading a devotional at our high school and opened the Bible to Isaiah 43 and read that scripture. And I went, that's in the Bible? I thought that was just something God was trying to tell me. It, like it's been there for thousands of years. And now when I was 17, here it is. And at that moment, here's what I want you to know. At that moment, I found something that I had lost. And it was hope. Because I knew that regardless of how bad what I was going through was, God wasn't done with me. And he spoke hope back into my soul. And a few months after that, I went to a pastor's class. And as I was in that classroom for pastors, there were, whatever, 15 or 20 of us there. The person leading the group said, hey, uh, I'm going to lead in prayer this morning. Before I do, I want to actually pray and use this scripture as our guide for prayer this morning. And you know which one they went to. Isaiah 43. Matter of fact, a year ago, I had a friend I coached with who said, would you come to our church and give your testimony? And I said, I'd, I'd be honored to do that. So about a year ago, I went down and, and uh, past Montevallo. I went to a small church, people I'd never met other than the pastor. And I was going to share my testimony. And before I gave my testimony, a guy was going to sing a special and he said, I was praying last night. And God put a scripture on my heart that perfectly explains the song I'm about to sing. And I want to share it with you. Guess which one it was? Isaiah 43. And you know what? Before he even said it, I looked at Stacy and I said, it's going to be Isaiah 43. <laughs> I promise you. And sure enough, it was Isaiah 43. Can I just tell you something? I know life's not always easy. I understand that. But God is present. God is a present help. I promise you. And when you realize that God is a present help, it brings great hope to your soul. So here's the last one, and you can probably guess it's going to have something to do with the future. Because we've done the past and the present. Number three, hope comes from confidence in the future. When you look into the future, what do you see? What do you see? The latest studies tell us that there's great anxiety about the future. War and terrorism and climate change, retirement, health, economy, health care, political struggle. I just can't think of any one of those that brings anybody any hope. They're all discouraging. But the Bible talks about a future that we can all have hope in. And I want to I read a verse about that from Revelation 21.4. Listen to the future that God wants to give to you and to me. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and will eliminate death entirely. No one will mourn or weep any longer. No more, no more grieving. The pain of wounds will no longer exist for the old order has ceased. 
There's a season we're living in that the Bible says will one day be over. And for people who have a real relationship with Jesus, they will go to heaven and they will experience everything that we just read about. So what does real hope mean? What does is, what is real hope mean? It means that every painful part of my life is temporary, but hope is eternal. It's permanent. That's what that means. So my family will not always live under the pressure it has lived under. And when I look into the future, that gives me great hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, li listen to this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, watch this, he's given us new birth, a fresh start, a new beginning, a real relationship with Jesus. And what's the new birth into? Into a living hope. Hope that's alive, hope that'll last Hope that will strengthen you. Hope that will feed you. Hope that will encourage you. And, and how does, how's that hope been brought to you? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, it's right back to where we started, isn't it? It's that past event that, be, that brings present and future hope. From Jesus' resurrection, we're born into a living hope. Years ago, uh, I met a guy named, named Chad, and uh, Chad had been addicted to drugs for 22 years. He had a tough life. He was only, uh, I'm not sure he was even 40, but from his early teenage years, he had been addicted to drugs. And he was in a rehab, and this is back when, you know, we didn't have podcasts and all that stuff. We, we, we would record our sermons on tape, and somebody took one of our sermon tapes to him and gave it to him in the rehab. <laughs> and there in the rehab, after he listened to that message, he, he, he knelt down in his room in the rehab and he prayed and he asked Jesus into his heart. And he asked Jesus to give him hope and to help him and to forgive him of all his sin. And, and he gave his life to Jesus. And I want you to know that that started a process in Chad's life where he was um, set free from his 22-year drug addiction. And, and by the time he and I were having that conversation, he had been free and clean for two years. And he was a faithful part of our church there in Mississippi. And one spring he was telling me about how meaningful Easter had become to him. And, and well, he and I happened to be together on Good Friday one year, and he looked at me and he said, it was in the evening, he said, man, he said, I have cried on and off all day. And I said, well, why, Chad, is there something wrong? And he said, no. He said, I, I just don't have much history in the church or with God or with the Bible. I didn't understand all this. He said, but for some reason or another this year, it dawned on me that this is the day that Jesus died for me. And he said, and I've just cried on and off all day long because God has given me such hope. And during those two years, Chad brought six other people to the rehab and started giving them sermon tapes and encouraging them because he just wanted other people to know the hope that he had. During this series, we're going to talk about a lot of things that can help 
with this increasing pressure. But today, I just want to start at the beginning. And and that's here. God has surrounded the past with hope. And he surrounded your present with hope. And he surrounded your future with hope. But the truth is, it only works if we receive it. It only helps us if we receive it. And so, just back to what we talked about as we were done singing. It only helps if we open our mind and open our heart and say, God, do you have anything for a person like me? Could you help me? Are you real? Do you care? Do you know what I'm going through? Do you know how far away I am? It only helps if we receive it. So I want to ask you if you'd just stand with me this morning. And I want to ask our prayer team if you'd come. And could you just find a place you could be comfortable for a minute? We won't, we won't hold you long. We'll all transition to the picnic in a minute. But would you just find a place you can be still and close your eyes and open your heart? Nobody, nobody moving around, please. Nobody leaving. This is an important time because people are making decisions. With every eye closed, if you just say, this morning, I'm, I'm ready to receive hope. You know, maybe you're really close to God or maybe you're far away from God. It really doesn't matter. We all still have to receive hope. Even as a Christian, I have to open my heart and receive hope from God. With every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what? Today, I want to receive hope and I want to start a real relationship with Jesus. I want to I want to start a real relationship today. I, 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 maybe you feel like you're far away. Maybe there was a time you felt close to God and you're not now. But for whatever reason, you, you've just recognized there's a distance between you and God. And you say, today, I want to start a real relationship with Jesus. With every eye closed, I'm not going to push you or pressure you. I just want you to lift your hand and let me know if that's where you are today and I want to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand and say, I want to start a real relationship with Jesus today. Thank you. You put it right back down. Yeah. Just lift it up and let me see it. Just lift it up and let me see it. I'm just looking across the floor now. Yeah, thank you so much. You put it right back down. Thank you. I see it. Somebody else on the floor. People are making decisions, so just be still for a moment. In the balcony, if you want to lift your hand and just say, today I want to to start a real relationship with Jesus. Just lift your hand. I just want to pray for you today. Would you just lift your hand? Let me see it. today, if you're here and you say, you know what? I'm not ready to make a commitment like that. I'm not ready to 
to open my heart all the way just yet. But I really do need prayer. And so, would you just pray for me that God's going to help me to find Him, to see Him, to hear Him, that God will help work out some of the circumstances in my life. And You know, maybe you say, I'm ready to take a step toward God, but I'm just not ready to go all in yet. I want you to know I've been where you are and that's completely okay. We want to pray for you too. So would you just lift your hand and say, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those. That's me. I just need prayer today. If you'd remember me, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Somebody else, thank you so much. Just lift it up and put it back down. All right, and, and one, one more thought, and then I'm going to ask you to pray, okay? If you're here today and you say, I, I saw your hand, thank you. You're here today and you say, you know what? I'm going through some stuff. I have some circumstances in my life, and I, I, I feel that pressure, and I really do need God's help today. So it really doesn't matter at this point if you're a believer or not or how close or far from God you are. You can be really close. And just never receive God's help. Never receive hope. But today, if that's you, you say, I need, I need prayer. I need God's help and hope in my life today. Would you just be honest and lay, raise your hand and say, that's me. Man, I need God's presence today. I need His help and hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. All across the room. Yeah. I need encouragement today. I need, I need to know God loves me. Thank you. In the balcony, I see it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to begin to pray, and as I do, if you lifted your hand for any reason, it doesn't matter. I just want you to, um, as I pray, I want everybody to keep your eyes closed except those who raise your hand. And I want you to open your eyes and look at one of our prayer team. And when I start to pray, I just want you to slip out and walk toward them. And they're just going to pray for you. And as they pray for you, God's going to meet you in that moment. He's going to begin to minister to you. So if you, if you lifted your hand, you need prayer, I want you to go ahead and open your eyes. And as I begin to pray, I want you to come now. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would draw every person that needs to be ministered to by you today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every person that needs to know you, needs to receive your presence, needs to be encouraged by you. Lord, I pray that you'd stretch your grace across this room and this campus today. And you administer peace and life and hope and forgiveness, joy and goodness. As the worship team begins to lead, if you need prayer, I want you to come now. I want you to come right now. All over the room, you lifted your hand. Just ask the person next to you, could I, could I just slip out for a minute? I want you to come. Come now. Come on now. Come on now. Let us pray for you. Come on now. Let us pray for you. Turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil. You turn it for my good. You turn it for good. And you take what the enemy meant for evil. You turn it for good. You turn it for good. Take what the enemy 